cost women more money than men. In another case, a mother must struggle for decades to find the father of her child among the seven Catholic priests who sexually abused her. Other cases involve some well-known names, including O.J. Simpson, Michael Jackson, and Amber Fry. I will also tell you how I have fought back in my own life, how I overcame divorce, the inability to collect child support, rape, abortion, and political opposition. I can say from experience that fighting for your civil rights is difficult. It takes hard work, stamina, courage, resources, and a plan to win. Fight Back and Win, the message of this book, presents a powerful challenge to you. While you can't expect to win every battle, you can be sure that you'll never win if you don't fight. Some victories come quickly. Some take considerably longer. That's the way it is with civil rights. But unless somebody takes that first step on the moon, there will never be others who can begin to build a space station. So begins the journey toward justice and a great adventure. Chapter 1. To Conquer, You Must First Conquer Yourself My Life Lessons My address is like my shoes. It travels with me. I abide where there is a fight against wrong. Mary Harris, Mother Jones I was born Gloria Rachel Bloom on July 3, 1941, an only child in a working-class home in southwest Philadelphia. My dad, Morris, was a door-to-door salesman with an eighth-grade education. Selling fuller brushes and photo enlargements, he worked 12 hours a day, six days a week, and rarely had time to spend with me, except on Sundays. We never had a car. We lived modestly in a row house with a view of a stone wall. I always wanted to get beyond the stone wall in my life. My mother, Stella, was originally from Manchester, England. She didn't work outside the home, but devoted her life to me and was adamant that I get a good education. She had been forced to leave school in the eighth grade to support her family. Even though she was lighthearted and easygoing, my mother never seemed content about being a stay-at-home mom. All of her life, she looked back with regret and imagined what she could have achieved if she had been able to get the education and enjoy the opportunities that her intelligence warranted. My mother insisted that I grow up to have the opportunities she missed. Don't grow up to be like me, she would tell me. My father was very strong. Some called him stubborn. He was like a rock, which was good because you could lean on him, but bad because he was hard to move. He made up his mind fairly quickly. He seldom talked, except to tell jokes. In order to challenge him, I had to be really strong and use my wits. My father agreed with my mother that I should have a career if I wanted it. He always told me I would be going to college. I wasn't supposed to worry about it. The money would be there. Even though they were poor, my parents tried to give me the best of everything. If we could afford only one ticket to a movie, my father would pay my way and wait for me in the park. I earned extra money by selling potholders that I made myself. I also sold new and used comic books and, of course, the old standby, lemonade. I was fairly successful at sales. Every birthday, I would ask my parents to put some money away for me, in case I ever needed it for a rainy day. I was fortunate to be accepted into an all-academic, all-girls public high school, the Philadelphia High School for Girls, also known as Girls High. 
It was like a private school. Many people believed that girls could receive a better education there than at the public co-ed high schools in Philadelphia, where more attention was paid to boys. To attend girls' high, a girl either had to have a high IQ or be at the top of her class. No one ever told me which category I'd qualified under, but I was excited to be admitted. I met my best friend, Fern Brown Kaplan, during my first week at school, and she remains my best friend to this day. The faculty of the school consisted mainly of women who emphasized the school's motto, Wink it, we say wink it. She conquers who conquers herself. The vice principal once told us, Girls, your husbands or your boyfriends will probably say to you, Send me to medical school or to law school or graduate school. You just look them in the eye and say, No, you send me. It was truly a rebellious statement for that time. I remember all of us looking at each other as though somebody might burst through the door at any minute and arrest the vice principal for saying something that radical. I think for many of my classmates, she was their first exposure to a feminist. It wasn't mine. My father's cousin, Rachel Ash, was, as far as we know, the first female cardiologist at the Children's Heart Hospital in Philadelphia. I considered her a revolutionary. She never married and never had any children. In addition, she was the only woman I ever knew who didn't cook. We would see her about once a year, and during those visits, she would have food delivered to the house. Remember, there were very few takeout places in those days. Then serve it right out of the takeout containers. She didn't cook, and she didn't care. That was extraordinary to me. Aunt Rachel, as I called her, wasn't particularly interested in my mother and father. They seemed to be a bit of an annoyance to her. But she took an interest in me. She sent me to a special science seminar in Philadelphia one summer and stayed in contact with me over the years. Students at girls' high school were taught to have confidence. There was no room for insecurity on my part. I realized that just because my parents might not have had certain advantages, I could still measure up to girls from more privileged homes. All girls' high students were expected to compete and to succeed. I dated a few boys in high school, but at girls' high, we didn't spend a lot of time worrying about what boys would think about us. We had so many women teachers, strong women, who inspired us to learn to make our own internal assessments about ourselves. I became a class officer and a cheerleader for our all-girls basketball team. I remember a boy I knew saying that he couldn't understand how could I be a cheerleader for girls. What's there to cheer about? He thought that it was only worthwhile to cheer for boys, because girls were of no value or importance. In many ways, I still am a cheerleader for girls, and now for women, too. Throughout high school, I studied hard. I think I got a better education there than I would have received at a co-ed high school. During those days... Girls at traditional co-ed high schools often weren't treated with as much respect as boys were. The thinking was that women were just going to get married anyway. Some even argued that it wasn't important to educate young women because they would only be raising children. But isn't that the most important job of all? After high school graduation, I received a partial scholarship to the University of Pennsylvania and qualified for the Honors in English program. I couldn't be a cheerleader at Penn, I was told that only boys could be cheerleaders for boys. At a mixer during my first week of college, I met Peyton Bray, a tall, handsome, blonde, blue-blooded boy 
who swept me off my feet. He was brilliant and had a great sense of humor. We decided to get married my sophomore year. My parents, who pretty much supported whatever I did, accepted this decision. Peyton and I didn't have much money. Despite his pedigree, he was expected to find a job after he graduated. We lived in a very small, one-bedroom, one-bath apartment, and we ate off the coffee table in the living room. I got pregnant when I was only 19, which was really too young. It was a lot for me to handle, especially since my marriage was not going very well. Peyton had serious mental health issues that prevented him from being able to enjoy a close relationship with himself or anybody else. He had entered the military for a while but wound up in the hospital. When I went to visit him there, I thought maybe he was just faking a nervous breakdown to get out of the service. Peyton had always been a rebel and loved to play practical jokes. But, in fact, he had suffered some kind of mental breakdown. And it was no joke. When I was about to give birth during my junior year, we couldn't afford to go to the hospital. That's when the rainy day birthday fund I'd asked my parents to set up for me came in handy. I used up all of my birthday money from all those years to pay the doctors and the hospital for the best birthday gift of all, my beautiful baby girl, Lisa. Peyton took me to the hospital, but instead of staying to help me through the labor, he went out for a beer. Afterward, when I confronted him about this and told him that I couldn't believe he'd left the hospital when I was screaming from the pain of labor, he told me the nurse had said he could leave because it would be a while before the baby came. It never occurred to Peyton or the nurse that I might want to hold my husband's hand while I was going through hours of labor before finally delivering my baby. My dream marriage was turning into a nightmare. When I wasn't caring for Lisa,